welcome to the Preaching Matters Podcast. My name is Alan Carr, and I am your host. Thank you for listening to our episode today. On this podcast, we talk about preaching because we believe preaching matters, and we certainly want our preaching to be better. We want it to glorify God, and we want it to be biblical. And so that's what this podcast is about. We talk about all matters related to preaching because we believe preaching matters. So thank you for tuning in today. We're going to get right into the episode, but before we do, let me ask you to go to your favorite podcast directory and leave us a good review. We would appreciate that. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. Now, let's talk about preaching because preaching matters. Welcome back to the Preaching Matters Podcast. This is Alan Carr, your host, and I thank you for taking the time to join me this week on this episode. We are finally ready to move into the step of preparation. This will be step number five in our 12-step program, and we've been talking about, up to this point, all kinds of issues. We've been talking about isolating a text. We've been talking about meditating upon that text, concentrating upon that text, and then interpreting that text. And now we're finally ready for preparation. After all the groundwork has been laid, after you have chosen your text and studied it and milked it for every drop it contains, every drop of truth it contains, you are ready to put that together into a sermon. Now, I don't know what kind of preaching you do. Personally, I, I work from full manuscripts. This means I write my sermons out in full as if I were preaching them to my keyboard and when I get finished, the average sermon length for me is about 3,500 to 4,000 words. That translates to about 35 to 40 minutes of preaching. You can figure that about every 100 words in a manuscript will give you about a minute of preaching time. And of course, when I preach that manuscript, I'm not relying upon it entirely. I'm not reading my sermon to the people, but I have internalized those truths, and it's merely there to help keep me on track. And there are times when I will deviate vastly from what I've written in the manuscript. And other times I will follow it pretty close to what it says. But as things come to my mind as I'm preaching, I will add them in. If other things seem inappropriate in the moment, I will leave them out. And I just kind of do that as I, as I, on the fly as I preach. Now, you may be an outline type preacher. And if you preach from an outline, a very simple, basic outline or a, an expanded outline, then that's fine. You can use these steps as well. However, if you're preaching extemporaneously or without notes at all, which is an excellent path to follow. If you're, if you're so minded to do that, if you're not terrified, like I am when I preach without notes, uh, that's, that's great too. These steps will help you in the preparation process and will help you prepare a sermon, which is ready to uh, preach to the people who come to hear you. So let's begin this idea of preparation and talk about putting all this material together and building a good expository sermon. And there are several steps in this. And I think the first step really is the matter of preparing a good outline. And as you did the mechanical outlining step and you looked at your text and concentrated on it and thought about it and studied that text, a rough outline may have been developed earlier. But in this stage of the sermon building process, the outline is going to be revised and it's going to be streamlined until it accurately reflects the clear teachings of the text. 
So we're going to get into all that stuff in more detail. We'll be talking about main points and sub points and all that stuff in a later episode. But right now you've got to prepare an outline and a, an outline is something that most of us learn to do in school. But uh, typically your main points in an outline will be indicated by Roman numerals, capital Roman numerals. And uh, the first one will be the capital letter I. The second will be two capital letter I's. The third will be three capital letter I's and so on. Underneath that, if you have sub points, you will characterize the main sub points with a capital letter A, B, C. And if you have sub sub points, there'll be one, two, three, and so on. And if you get into sub 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 points, then you're going to get a lowercase a's and so on, lowercase b's and whatever. But remember, the number of main points in a sermon is always determined by the text. And I'm going to give you, hopefully in the show notes, an example of what an outline looks like so that you can see for yourself what a well-constructed, and I say that tongue-in-cheek because it's my own work, but what a well-constructed outline looks like. And after you have got the outline completed and the outline will be given to you by the text, the next step is to put some meat on those bones. You've got a skeleton. Now it's time to build a body of a sermon around the skeleton. And during this process, we're going to bring together all the materials from our exegesis and from our exposition. And we're going to add to those things like illustrations and arguments and cross references to prove our points. And we're going to add application. And this material, of course, is gleaned from many different sources. And later on, we will be talking about illustrations and cross-referencing a little bit more and those kind of things. But this is where the sermon begins to live. And if, we're to take the dry, if we were to take the dry results of our, of our exegesis, if we were to take the dry results of our exegesis into the pulpit, honestly, we would bore the people in the pews to tears. Our job is to take the material we have gathered and to bring it all together in a presentation that delivers the truth of God's word to our congregations. And we must learn to arrange the truth, argue the truth, prove the truth, and apply the truth. And we'll say that again. We must learn to arrange it, argue it, prove it, and apply it. All those things need to be done in the course of the sermon. So you arrange the truth in a compelling format, you argue for the validity of the truth, or if you're preaching against something, you argue the negative side of it. You prove the truth from the text, and then you apply the truth to the people to whom you are preaching. And we must learn to do this in the best and most attractive manner possible. And so what I'm going to do is lead you through what I would call the keyword method of sermon preparation. And I'm going to share that with you over the coming weeks, and we'll talk about what the keyword method is and how it looks. And I'm just going to give you just a little bit of information about keyword method. And then next time we're together, we'll launch out into the first one, uh, step one of that, which is isolating the subject. So I think the keyword method really works well with most expository sermons. It also works well with textual sermons. I would say you could probably do it with a topical sermon, but I wouldn't know because I don't do topical preaching. But if you tried it, it would have to be modified to some degree to make it work. And I think the preaching text, when your preaching text is a minimum of a paragraph, this method is usable most of the time. And I found that even usable in shorter passages of scripture, even on single verses at times, 
but your mileage may vary. So to determine whether the keyword method is the correct method for you to use with a given text, the preacher should study the mechanical layout of the passage and ask yourself this question. Are there two or more parallel ideas that relate in the same way to the same theme? Because if you're going to use the keyword method that I'm going to illustrate for you and talk about, there need to be at least two or more parallel ideas. And those parallel ideas will become your main points in your sermon. And if you have these parallel ideas, then the text can be used sermonically using the keyword method. And if not, perhaps another homiletical method will be necessary. We'll look at some others at a future time. But the parallel ideas in the text are possible main points when the keyword method is being used. So a given paragraph or more of text may well have several sets of parallel ideas. Okay. You may find one or two independent clauses. On a second level, there may be two or three dependent clauses related to those independent clauses. And we're getting into some grammar stuff here, and it may blow your mind, but that's okay too, right? It's good to have our minds blown every now and then. There also may be a series of prepositional phrases, each related back to the same clause. And as you prepare your sermon, you'll need to choose which set of parallel ideas you, you wish to use as the basis for your main points. So usually the main points will be based on independent clauses of one or more paragraphs. And you say, what is an independent clause? An independent clause is a portion of a sentence, which if left by itself with a period at the end would stand alone as a sentence. Okay. So that's what an independent clause is. A dependent clause is a clause which depends on the rest of the sentence to make sense. In other words, it can't stand alone. So as you study this, you're going to find all of these clauses in the text. You're going to have dependent clauses, independent clauses. You're going to have subordinate clauses. You're going to have phrases and all of that can be used for subpointing. Don't let this blow your mind. Don't let this get into your head. It would do well for every preacher to be a grammarian, to study English so that you can properly outline, translate and apply the word of God. So don't let that blow your mind. But as you broke down the text in the mechanical outlining process, you will have isolated those main thoughts and they will stand out. And those become the main points of your text and everything underneath them will become sub points or sub sub points or so on. And I'm going to give you this right quick. I do not use sub points in my preaching for years. I did. I alliterated main points, I alliterated subpoints, I alliterated sub sub points. But after a while, the message gets lost in all the points. Because if we're not careful, we will come in and say, Now, the first thing I want to share with you is this. And then we'll come back and say, Number one. Then if you have subpoints, you'll say, Okay, number one. And you've already said number one twice. You can't have more than one number one. Okay? People start to get confused. Number two, now number three. People get confused with all that kind of thing. So in my view, in my opinion, my humble opinion, it is better for me to simply have my main points and I do not outline my sub points or sub sub points. I leave them out of the outline. They're still there, but they're, they're lost within the text of the message lost in the sense that they don't stand out as an identified part of the outline. If you look at one of my older outlines, you would find main points, sub points, and sub, sub, sub points, and all the way down the line. But if you look at a current outline, 
you'll find however many main points the text gives me, be it two, three, four, whatever. And all you will have in my outline is the main points. Everything else will be in the text of the manuscript. I hope that makes sense. So we're going to talk about this keyword method as the days go forward. Now, since I'm on the idea of main points, let's talk about alliteration. Alliteration is something which is very popular with preachers. And in alliteration, every word in the main points or every main word in the main points will begin with the same letter. And we want them to do that because that aids us in our memory. And sometimes it aids the people in the pew. But if you practice alliteration too much and you alliterate your main points, your sub points, your sub, sub, sub points, people can get lost in the alliteration. And sometimes the alliteration can begin to sound quite hokey. I remember being in, uh, in Mississippi one time at a Bible conference and I heard a pastor come in and preach and he preached for about an hour and his entire sermon basically was him sharing his outline. And it was so alliterated that it wasn't five or 10 minutes into the message. You got lost in the alliteration. Now here's the thing, guys, we do not want our outlines to take away from the sermon. We want the main point of the text to shine forth in our preaching and we do not want it to get lost in the midst of our outline. So the outline should be really transparent, allowing the main thoughts of the text to come through, allowing those divine eternal principles to be set forth in a way that can be heard and understood by the congregation. I don't want them to remember my outline, but I do want them to remember what God said in his word. And so be careful with alliteration. It's fine to use it. I practice alliteration because it helps me memory. It helps me remember. It is a device which helps me recall the main points while I'm preaching so that I'm not really tied too deeply to my manuscript. However, there are times when a passage does not lend itself to alliteration. And if a passage does not lend itself to alliteration, then I abandon alliteration and do not use it. And so I will just name my points, whatever. And I'm going to come back to this thought. And when we talk about main points, and I'm going to tell you how main points should be constructed, at least in my opinion, and we'll deal with that when we get there. But for today, just keep in mind that alliteration is fine, but uh, it's not always the best thing. Okay. And don't let your outline overwhelm the truth of what you're preaching. Be sure your outline disappears and the truth of God's word shines forth. That is the main goal. It's not about our cleverness with our words. It is not about the depth of our vocabulary. It is about the word of God. It's always about the word of God. We are to preach the word. That is our duty. And God has called us to do that and let us do so. And let us not throw anything into a sermon which will distract or take away from the word of God. Now, should you decide to practice alliteration, and I learned this little trick from John Phillips. John Phillips said that he uses a spell checker. You've seen those little books, and all they are is words, and it shows how to spell words. They're arranged from A to Z, and you can look through there. If you need an S word, you can go to the S's and read down through the list until you find one that fits, and that's one way to do that. And if you have a good vocabulary, then certainly you can use, you can draw from that internal vocabulary you already possess 
to develop your alliterated main points. I will also say this. If you have to define a word in your main point, then you should choose another word, even if it's not alliterated. You should have simple main points, which are easy to understand by the people who hear you, and you should not have to define those terms every time you state the main point. So be careful that you don't use big words when you're preaching. Keep it simple, my friends. Keep it simple. I believe a good test would be if you have children who are young, and I did this with my children. When my children were four, five, six year old, when we would drive home from church on Sunday morning, I would ask them, what did I preach about today? And if my children could tell me in simple terms what I preached, then I had done it right because I'm not there to impress the intellectual giraffes in the congregation. I'm there to feed sheep. D.L. Moody once said that we should keep the cookies on the bottom shelf where the children can reach them because God called us to feed sheep. And that's exactly right. God did not call us to necessarily cater to those who have great education, those who have immense vocabularies. I think God called us to preach the word in the simplest possible terms so that the people in our churches, both the educated and the illiterate, can understand what we're saying. In my church, I have people who are doctors. I have people who are teachers. And I have people who never finished elementary school. And I've got to somehow come down on the lower end of the scale so that the people at the bottom can understand while the people with the top drawer educations can still understand. And I'm not catering to their intellects. I'm simply trying to preach the word in a fashion that even the children can grasp the content of the message. So keep that in mind as you build your points. Don't try to impress anybody. You've got no one to impress. Just preach the word and preach it clearly, preach it simply, and so that people can hear it and people can understand it. If somebody comes by and tells you that you're easy to understand, you are a simple preacher, take that as a blessing from God. But if somebody come by, comes by and says, you know, I heard what you said today, and it must be true, but I didn't get a word of it. You've messed up. Keep it simple. Let the people understand what you're saying. So beginning next week, I'm going to introduce really the keyword method. We'll start going through the steps. And the first step will be isolating the subject. What is the subject of the text? Because the subject of the text will be the subject of your sermon. So we'll talk about isolating the subject, what that looks like, what that means, what a subject is, and then we'll move on through that all the way through the process of building a sermon. So I'm going to cut it off here today. That's long enough for this idea. And I appreciate you taking time to uh, be with me. And I thank you for listening to the Preaching Matters podcast. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for leaving a positive review. And thank you for reaching out to me an email. Again, you can re email me at alancarr at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd like to hear your ideas. I'd like to hear what you would like to hear in, in future episodes. I'd really appreciate hearing from you. It'd be a blessing to me personally. So reach out to me and let me know what you think. Again, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave a positive review if you can and tell others about what we're doing. And I appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. It is a blessing. 
to, to know that you're out there listening and to know hopefully somebody is getting some help. God bless you. We'll talk again next week. Until then, may the Lord continue to bless you and use you for his glory. Thank you once again for joining us today on the Preaching Matters Podcast. We'll try to have a new episode out next week, so I encourage you, if you enjoyed the episode or you think someone else would enjoy it, first, I want you to subscribe, and I'd like for you to leave a positive review on the platform of your choice, or on several if you choose, and I'd like for you to tell somebody else about it. This is a podcast for preachers. If you are a preacher or know some preacher who might benefit, share the news. God bless you. Thanks for being here pray that preaching goes well for you and God blesses you in your work for his glory. Pray for us and Lord willing, we'll see you next week.